0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Faith. And Faith was in a controlling relationship with a charismatic abuser. It's a story of self-worth, emotional manipulation, hidden recorders, tracking devices, and figuring out why we stay. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Faith. How are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: I am doing well. And I just realized on my own Zoom right here that I forgot to take my background off. (laughs) And it's like the San Francisco Bay. Usually when I do the calls, I just blur the background. And for a support group, I put the backgrounds on yeah but I completely forgot to now so i 'm a little bit of embarrassed, but uh, no, I like it. <laughs> hopefully this relaxed you this this view that you 're looking at right now
1: definitely. I thought it was on purpose <laughs> it
0: wasn't on purpose, so thank you so much for being here with us today you 're going to help a lot of people by sharing your story of your relationships, not just one we 're going to discuss your previous relationships a little bit as well as well as your family. And for people that want to share their story like faith is today, please go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. Click on that button. There's all those instructions for you to read. So now with that out of the way, faith, without further ado, the floor is now yours.
1: Okay, so I'll start at the beginning. I was born and raised in Mexico City. I had a very close-knit family. It was my older sister, my dad, and myself. Um, And even though it was a huge city, it was kind of like tight-knit with our community and the people that we knew. My parents, I never, ever saw them argue, like no violence, no negativity, Uh, So I was completely shocked when I was nine years old, they told me that they were getting divorced and that my dad was moving out. And again, I was completely shocked, like taken aback because I never saw them argue. But looking back now too, I never saw them like lovey or like caring towards each other. And I just, I guess I always thought that's how relationships were. Um, And I'm sure looking back now, a lot probably went on behind closed doors that they tried to shield my sister and I from. And now as an adult, I totally get it. Like being through my own relationships, like you shield your children from things they don't need to know. And so I respect that decision. But then I started to think that that's how relationships were, that just one day for no reason and completely out of the blue, relationships just ended. Like, no warning, no explanation, just broken, dismantled. Um, And as children who who grow up in broken homes, for some reason, they blame themselves. So I completely thought, it's my fault my dad's moving out. I had a lot of shame, too, because none of my friends had parents that were divorced. So it was kind of an embarrassing thing for me. And I still couldn't understand why. Mine was just completely shattered and dismantled. And then I started to have fear that one day my parents would want to divorce me, too, because I was nine years old, didn't really understand what that meant. And I thought maybe one day they'll fall out of love for me, too, and just we'd go our own ways. And that's when I developed a huge fear of abandonment. And I realize now what an enormous role in my life this has taken. And it's been decades of, like, therapy to figure out that that's what makes me tick and why I've chosen the partners that I've chosen. I just didn't feel worthy. Like I felt like I wasn't worth fighting for for my parents to stay together. My dad worked a lot and my mom sort of did her own thing. So essentially my sister and I were raised by a nanny who was with our family for like 20 something years. Um, so yeah, I felt very abandoned by my parents. But I know now that at the time, people can only do what they can do in that moment. If that makes
0: sense. So it, it's not like you blame your parents for anything. They're just, they were doing as best they could with the knowledge that they had, and the skills and the tools that they had. And there's no blame here to go around as far as how you were raised. And that was just how it was. And as you went older, as you became older, these things presented themselves without really knowing where they came from and not realizing how much those things really affected you uh, as you got older at all.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like you said, people do what they know in the moment to do, and I do not blame them at all. And I realize now it was definitely nothing to do with me. And people should never stay together for the sake of the children. That's what I believed at the time, but that's definitely not the the thing that they should do. So after my dad moved out, and he was somebody I, I loved, and to this day loved so profusely, and we have such an amazing bond. But again, it scared me that somebody I loved so much was no longer as much of a part of my life as he had been. And it shaped my beliefs about relationships. I began to have this like overwhelming feeling of not being safe. And it's weird to think about because I'm a social worker now. So all of this makes sense of how I didn't have that secure attachment. And again, it, it changed the way I viewed the world, I always feared abandonment, and I always had that need for being loved. And again, our family dynamic, when it changed, I felt like I could have done something better, I could have fixed them, I could have saved them, and we'd still be a family unit. So I didn't really have the greatest role models when it came to relationships. And I think that's where my need to fix people began. Like I became essentially a a human magnet for broken people that I needed to save or fix despite how much it affected me and my self-esteem. And I know now it sounds cliche, but if you don't love yourself, like you're going to attract people that can't and won't love you. So beliefs I had about myself were mirrored back to me by bad men, toxic men who literally treated me like shit uh I met my narc my college in college my sophomore year and I definitely had no clue at the time um so we dated for about three months and he was just this gorgeous guy charismatic charming funny and he was so much more sophisticated and mature than the other college guys I mean like this guy was Wining and dining me and teaching me about how to pair wine with oysters and meanwhile all the other guys are like doing keg stands and and I'm not judging that at all. I'm just trying to compare like the different mentalities that they all had. And he had his own apartment where again everybody was in college dorms and he had this amazing job. He was mentoring children. So I was totally hooked. And I realized now I was probably like addicted to him. And I realized this is unhealthy because I put everything into that relationship, like above and beyond my needs, what I had going on. And then one day he was gone, like completely ghosted me out of the blue again. No clue what happened. I tried to get in touch with him. I couldn't, needless to say, I was devastated. But again, this solidified my belief that relationships just end out of the blue, like no warning, you're just completely disposable and discarded unexpectedly, and that completely like damaged my self-esteem. Um, and then a year later, I met the father of my firstborn son, who is now 18, and he came from an extremely well-known family, like super wealthy, prestigious, but that's not the reason I was attracted to him. I just genuinely loved the guy and... We got pregnant pretty quickly, and I was excited. I wanted to be a young mother and grow up with my son and sort of learn about the world together. We had this amazing lifestyle. Like, I'm talking yachts, like elite nightclubs, drivers, nannies, bodyguards, like unreal. And we lived in this gorgeous mansion overlooking the Caribbean Ocean, and I just felt beyond pri- privileged and great family again. But to this day, my ex-husband has never worked a single day in his life. So he was like a trust fund baby, playboy. And he had bipolar disorder, but he never, ever believed in medication. So his mood swings were very, very rough for me. The lows, he'd stay in bed all day and not get out of bed. And then the mania was like, spending sprees and talking really fast and like these erratic thoughts, like he was going to build a a ladder to like the moon and just really, really bonkers. And I had a new, I was going to be a mother and I thought I can't be taking care of him and taking care of my son at the same time. So it was completely all like material, superficial stuff that lifetime the lifestyle that we lived. So I left one day. I thought my peace of mind is much more important than this lifestyle of the rich and famous. So I literally took one suitcase and my two week old son, he was two weeks old at the time. And the suitcase was just filled with like photographs and keep keepsakes. And I thought none of it was worth it to stay. So we split up, we got divorced and um, we went through this whole ugly court proceeding, which again, I don't think court is ever pleasant, but I'm, I'm in awe of couples that managed to be amicable during it, but we definitely were not at that point because of his erotic behavior and impulsivity, the judge granted me sole custody with supervised visits and um, I got legal, legal final say in everything. So I moved to the Northeast with my son I found a nice condo. We moved in the middle of winter. And mind you, I was used to like the beach and the Caribbean ocean and middle of winter. And that night, I just remember curling up on a ball on the kitchen floor, just sobbing because it was a lot. It was culture shock. I was a young single mother. It wasn't the life that I wanted to turn out the way it was. And eventually my ex ended up moving close to us to be close to his son And we did a really good job of co parenting. Like we were able to event, celebrate our son's birthdays together and like Christmas together. And so for the sake of our, our son, it was very amicable. But again, our son was so little when we split up that he doesn't have any memories of us together as a family unit. So it wasn't as detrimental to him as it could have been.
0: So at this point, you are. Someone who is a fixer, likes to save people. You don't really have that much self-worth. You have a fear of abandonment. You blame yourself for lots of things, which I assume is going to make it very easy for someone to flip things on you. And now you are divorced with a child. I'm not sure... If you're working at this point, but how do you feel about yourself now that you're divorced with a child? You just said that you didn't envision this. Are you someone who envisioned getting married once in your life, having the two and a half children, the white picket fence in the house, and everything will be great, and now that dream... Or idea is gone. Are you looking at yourself and saying, I'm damaged goods or anything like that? Who's going to want me?
1: Absolutely. And I was so young. I was like 24 and none of my friends were married or had children. And I a thousand percent felt like damaged goods. I was like, who's going to want to date somebody with a child? And no, it was not the life I wanted. I wanted to be married, have four children with him the beautiful house, all of that, and it didn't pan out for, you know, for the reasons it didn't. And so I did, it was, it was very rough for me.
0: And were you getting any support from emotional support from your family or friends? Cause you said there that your friends were being regular 24 year old. So do you have fear of missing out on a lot of things and sowing your wild oats and, and going out and things like that uh, during this time as well?
1: I definitely did. I had fear of missing out. I had a lot of support. But the ironic thing is my friend, who's my maid of honor, like literally before I walked down the aisle, she was like, I don't agree with we're, what you're doing right now, but I will support you. And then literally, as I'm walking down the aisle, we got married on a beach, like there was this huge windstorm. So like the power went out. There was these gusts of wind, sand was like everywhere. When he went to put the ring on my finger, it fell off and got lost in the sand. So I'm like, were these all crazy omens? Like, just from the beginning. So my friends were never like, I told you so. They were just there like, we're here for you no matter what. So when my son was three, I began dating again. I met my then boyfriend through mutual friends. And again, everybody warned me not to get involved. He had anger issues. He had an abusive childhood. And there I was, it was almost like a challenge for me. I was like, I'm going to fix him. I can save him. Things are going to be great. And we dated for a few years, around three, maybe. But a few months into it, I realized that he had a severe drug problem, an alcohol problem, and he was just a monster when he drank, like really bad, abusive, nasty. The first time he was aggressive with me, he grabbed my hands during an argument once, like his drunken rage, which left bruises, and I had to hide them. And I was like, something's not right. Like, I'm hiding bruises on my body. This is just not okay and then the next time he threw my car keys in my face and then it progressively started to get worse and I was so ashamed and again felt so worthless he threw me once and the way I landed like twisted my ankle so I had to go to physical therapy for about a month or two once he bent my finger all the way backwards which resulted in hand surgery. And to this day, I still really can't bend that finger. And my son was five at the time. And once he witnessed it and he tried to intervene. Um, And again, I'm ashamed that he had to be there to witness that because no child should have to witness that. And that's something that he can never unsee and has a, a severe impact to him to this day. And like, what kind of example was I setting for my son about how relationships were supposed to look? It was just bad. And then the last time he was in a drunken rage, angry about something, he grabbed me by my throat, threw me down to the tile floor in the kitchen. And I just remember him dragging me by my hair into the living room. And all I could smell was blood. Like I didn't even realize how bad I was hurt. I could just Smell blood. So I managed to kick him off of me. I ran up the stairs to try to get the phone to call 911, and he was running after me. And I literally got to the phone just in time. I dialed 911. I said, I need help. And he grabbed the phone and smashed it against the wall. And I was like, That's it. I was like, This is the way I'm going out. My son's going to come back from his father, and they're going to find me lying dead in a pool of blood. And It was just terrible. But then the cops did arrive. He took off, of course, coward. The cops arrived and the back of my head had like a huge contusion. So I was taken to the hospital in an ambulance. I had nine staples to the back of my head. And I guess it was just the adrenaline of trying to survive that like, that's why I didn't even realize where I was hurt. I just knew it was bad from all the blood, but it was like a horror movie. I was like, this is not real life. This is not really happening to me. So I numbed myself. I decided not to feel like if I don't feel and it's not real. Um, The cops asked me if I wanted to press charges and for whatever stupid reason, I didn't maybe out of fear or like embarrassment. So when that happens, the judge automatically rules a restraining order for like a year. So he was charged with physical assault and interfering with an emergency call. And that definitely saved my life because it was only getting worse. And I did try to leave before. And they say it takes like seven events for the woman to finally leave. And it's always the most dangerous part when you do leave. Because that's when it gets really nasty. He used to tell me he had a plot of land somewhere where nobody would ever find my body. Like... It's crazy. And I did not want anybody to know about this. And I went to work on Monday and everybody was like giving me really weird looks. And I was like, do they know? Come to find out, it was all over the the front page of the newspaper. So everybody knew about it. I was completely ashamed, humiliated, and I'm a super shy person. So like all this attention was overwhelming for me. It gave me like a lot of anxiety Uh, needless to say, after this, I spent many, many years in therapy, like doing deep healing and trying to figure out like, why do I let people treat me like this? Like what's wrong with me? And I finally started to see that it wasn't my fault because of course, every time the abuse happened, you made me do this. If you hadn't pissed me off, I wouldn't have come after you like terrible. So then of course I believed it. I'm like, I am the cause of this. I need to be better. I need to be a better person. And I'm a huge empath. Like I can walk into a room and already sense like people's energy and perhaps too a little codependent. And I always want to put people's needs before my own. And again, I've realized that I do numb myself a lot when things get bad instead of facing them head on, I put my head in the sand and just try not to deal with it.
0: Well, I liked your, I liked your quote that, cause it rhymed, which is if I don't feel, then it's not real.
1: Oh, wow. I didn't realize it rhymed, but it's true. It's true. So I wasn't therapy. I was, I was going through the motions. Some days I believed what the therapist told me. Some days I didn't. Like, I still wasn't completely there, but I had gotten my life on track for the first time in a really long time. I I felt proud of myself. I got a really good career as a social worker and was helping people in a healthy way, like through counseling them and not trying to fix them at my own detriment. I bought a house. I had it all together. I was killing it as a single mother. I was doing so great, self-sufficient, financially independent. I just, I did. I felt on top of the world. The last thing I was looking for was a relationship, like whatsoever. I was happy and thriving being so so single. I was just devoted to my son, focusing on my career. And then one Friday, a friend wanted to go out for happy
0: hour. Before we get to that. I have a question. Okay. All of these great things are happening. Your career, your child is doing well. Everything is coming up faith. But do you you love yourself?
1: No, I don't. Like I'm feeling good, but deep down, like I don't love myself.
0: So you just built a mansion... With no foundation, with cracks in the foundation is what has happened.
1: Exactly. So my friend wanted to go to happy hour. I totally did not feel like it. I just wanted to go home and like lay on the couch and watch Netflix. And he's like, come on, you don't have your son. It's been a long week. Let's go just for one drink. So I'm like, fine. We go, just the hole in the wall bar. As soon as I walk in. I see my narc sitting there and I just froze. Like my heart sank, but at the same time like all these butterflies flies came back and it had been like 15 years I think since we had seen each other. And of course I went up to him, we started talking, he gave me the biggest, warmest, longest hug which he was always really good at. Like he just made you feel so special. When he hugged me, um, he said he was playing golf up the street and he too did not want to go out for a drink, but his friends like persuaded him to come. So in my mind, I'm like, this synchronicity is like meant to be like the universe wants us together. This is the path we were supposed to choose. And he's my soulmate. And he kept saying he had zero recollection of ghosting in college. So I just totally let it go. Um, and he was like a mastermind. He's a salesman, so he knew how to sell people, tell them exactly what they needed to hear so he could get exactly what he wanted. Like, he could literally sell ice to an Eskimo. And so he completely reeled me in again. But my gut was screaming, and you should always listen to your gut because it's always a 1,000% right, always. I think part of me was like, He doesn't want you. He already abandoned you and kicked you to the curb. It's going to happen again. Um, He's capable of hurting you. Just bad. Like, yes, I, I should run for the hills. That's what my gut was telling me.
0: And you're someone who already mentioned that when you go into a room that you can feel or sense other people's energy. So is this one of those situations where your energy just put up a giant... X right in front of that person and was like, kind of like repelled you in the sense of how magnets can repel each other?
1: Absolutely. That's exactly, it's like you're in my head. That's exactly how it felt. And I just ignored it. And we started dating again and things got pretty hot and heavy, like really quickly, like super intense. Uh, one night before we went out, He was like, just do me a favor. He's like, make sure you wear something nice. Make sure you look good. And again, red flag right there, which was weird. And I just let it go. And then he started the love bombing. Buy me presents, roses. You're my person. You're the love of my life. We're going to be together forever. Let's have a family together. And then when we were together, he like hung on to every single word I said, like he was fascinated by me. He wanted to know every single thing about my life, my childhood. He wanted me to confide in him that things I had never told other people. He especially wanted to know my fears and my vulnerabilities. And I was like, wow, nobody's ever had so much interest in me. Like, I'm really special to him. This is amazing. And of course, later down the line, all of these things I confided in him were used as ammunition thrown in my face. But we'll get to that. And there were other red flags too. Like whenever we went out, my eyes had to always be on him. Like if I looked away from it for a second, I was being disrespectful. I was checking out other people. So I was just stressed out all the time, making sure that I was watching him the whole time. He always had to be my priority. He always needed attention and praise and victory laps whenever he made a sale or just always had to tell him how gorgeous he was. And if I didn't, I would get the silent treatment, which at the time I never even realized what that was. And it was just crazy. And again, he it was transactional with him. Like my love for him was unconditional and his was always conditional always transactional i'd be like oh my god here we go again he's gonna abandon me i would try anything because the pain of the silent treatment was like unbearable and it was just very cold very callous like we hadn't reached the tantrums yet um one day he called me up and wanted to meet up for dinner in like an hour and i said i'm sorry i have plans And it would have been rude to cancel on my friend last minute. So he lost it. He just went into a full on rage screaming at me. I'm not your priority. We should just not be together. This is just a bad idea. So that was the first discard phase.
0: So I'm just going to interrupt one more time for everyone to understand what's going on here. Early on here. These little tiny things that are happening with your specific personality and issues that you're coming in with, in a way these – even though he might not know what he's doing, these are little tests for him to do where he can do these things and you are then in a way grabbing at straws. And it's kind of like you're in a competition. Not in your competition with someone else, but you uh, don't want to lose and you don't want to lose them. And that's where your mind is going and you're just doing anything to grab it back. So once you start doing this on these little tiny things, that means bigger things eventually can happen because at this point, this person knows that these little silent treatments Uh, the way they react to things, you jump over that, like if you have a boundary line, you jump over that boundary line over to them and the way you react to it is like, no, 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 come back, come back, come back. So it's, you know, your boundaries are gone in that sense, and in one sense, he doesn't have to reach over the boundary line to come and get you because the way of him pulling away makes you go over and jump over there to bring him back.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And the more he pulled away, the more I would try yeah. to bring him back. And, and um, I had my own house at the time, and I had an issue with my bathroom. So he came over and helped me tried to help me fix it and ended up putting a huge hole in my wall. So I couldn't shower in that bathroom anymore. And he stopped working on it because it seemed like it was an inconvenience for him. So about two weeks later, I told him, I said, you know what? I I think I'm just going to hire somebody to fix it. I didn't say it nasty or anything. And again, he went into a whole on rage do whatever you want he canceled dinner plans we had that night and I could not understand I was like why is this guy like blowing things way out of proportion why is he like taking them as personal attacks it was just bananas I just couldn't understand what was going on it did not feel right but I continued to pursue him um we got pregnant pretty fast and we moved in together like almost immediately, I was so happy to be having another baby. And again, completely love bombed there. There's an an agenda for everything that he did. And then I would end up feeling guilty. Oh my God. How could I think badly of him? Look what a sweet guy he is. But it was like an internal battle. Like it didn't feel right. I was trying to like make it feel right. It was just all bad. He convinced me to sell my house, to sell my car, to get on his insurance, to quit my job. So basically any independent thing that I had, he wanted me to get rid of. He insisted on getting me a new iPhone and putting me on his phone plan, which again, never take a phone from a NARC because I know now that he puts spyware in it, tracking devices, Like he was literally able to read my texts, my emails, know who I was on the phone with. And again, my gut screaming, don't give up your independence and just put all your eggs in one basket. And he convinced me to sell my furniture too, because that was part of my past. And we were going to be together forever, which obviously I now know was the future faking. And he kept telling me we were going to get married and promised me all these wonderful things we moved into a beautiful house he had a great job was very successful and I was convinced I'm like this time I'm gonna make it work like he's not gonna break up with me this time like it's gonna be beautiful he had three kids from a previous marriage and with my eldest son and our newborn we had like this blended family and I was so happy I'd always wanted to have lots of children and He was like my Prince Charming and he was taking care of me. And then my Prince Charming started to turn into a fucked up toad. It was just crazy. Even though he was so amazing to me throughout my pregnancy, didn't miss a single doctor's appointment, sweet, thoughtful presence. He was just great. And then I was like, he was a super hands on dad at the beginning Which was so refreshing to me because all I knew was how to be a single mother. So to have a quote-unquote partner there helping me was just amazing. And about a year into our relationship, things started to shift. He was no longer interested in our son. He would spend a lot of time away from the house. I was never allowed to ask where he was. But anytime I left the house, I had to tell him exactly where I was. He'd check up on me. I had to answer his phone calls, his texts, and his moods and personalities started to change. Like literally in the morning when we're having coffee, he was just a completely different guy than by the end of the night when we're like going to bed. And he started to make demands. Like dinner needed to be made by a certain time every single night. The laundry needed to be done daily, folded, ironed, put away. He wanted the house sparkling. He did not want any dishes left in the sink at night because he did not want to wake up to dishes in the morning. And he was extremely controlling, like, and would go into rages and silent treatments for a week at a time. Like, if I wanted to go out to dinner with a girlfriend, there was absolute hell to pay. Like, it would take me a week to build up courage to ask him quote unquote permission if I could go and I wouldn't even enjoy myself when I was out to dinner because I knew the hell I was going to catch when I got home. So I eventually stopped seeing friends. I stopped seeing family. I just had become completely isolated because it just wasn't worth the wrath. And especially I was trying to shield the children from it because they definitely did not need to see this thing I enjoyed my entire life was like taking warm baths at night and that became an issue so like I was allotted seven minutes to take a bath and I had to be done because the rest of the night I needed to be with him paying attention to him if I did yoga I had to come home immediately after because if I didn't that meant that everything was more important than him Like, my girlfriends would go out for coffee after yoga, and I just had so much anxiety to make sure I got home so I wouldn't be scolded. And, like I said, I stopped doing yoga. I stopped going out with my friends. It just, it wasn't worth it to me. And our son, who was like a year old, would cry, and he'd tell him to shut up, and it was just getting really bad.
0: And how were you justifying this like in your internal dialogue uh while this is happening are you saying this is what a relationship is this is what we have to do are you trying to tell yourself that nothing is wrong like what's the internal dialogue that you're having with yourself right now are you saying maybe I don't want to go through a divorce again. This is going to be embarrassing and maybe I have to stick it out like another couple years and it'll be less embarrassing. Things like that. Like what was your thought process?
1: I didn't really see it for what it was. And he was always telling me that everything bad in our relationship was my fault. I was crazy. I was to blame. And so, yeah, I tried to do everything in my power to keep him happy. And he kept raising the bar. Like, he was just completely inconsiderate of my needs. So I started to believe my needs didn't matter. Like, I needed to do everything for him not to leave me, to not be a single mother again, to not have a broken home. So, yeah, I just totally thought it was me. Um, and I was never allowed to, to question him or tell him if something was upsetting me or have my own opinion, because it always turned around, well, you did this and you did that. And and I always ended up apologizing for it, which was absolutely crazy. But that was always the tactic. It was always my fault. And he was the victim. I was like, how did I fall so far down? I was the captain of my ship. And I had everything. I didn't answer to anybody like self-sufficient. And now completely under his, his reign, everything was in in his name, the car, the phone, the house, and yeah, control. So you better do this or you're going to get kicked out of my house. It was always his house. Even though it was supposed to be a home, it was always his house. And I was constantly reminded, quote unquote, about my roles and responsibilities. And he would scream at me. He'd call me an entitled bitch. You don't do anything but sit around and finger pop your ass all day. Like, quote unquote, he would say that to me. And I kept begging him to stop. I kept trying to hug him. And and I wanted him to love me. And my son at this point was starting to, to pick up on this stuff. And he would say, don't you ever tell me what to do. You have no idea what I'm capable of. I will make your life so incredibly miserable. And my son would always be crying. And by this point, fast forward a few months, my son's able to talk. So he's saying, why are you always so sad, mama? Why is that always screaming at you? And that broke my heart because I did not want him to be in that situation. I did not want him to have a mother who was always crying. And the devaluation was just getting worse. I was called every name in the book. I was broken. I was crazy. I was mentally ill. Like, How could I even have been a social worker when I'm the one that's still mentally ill? And I just at some point shut off my feelings. I became completely numb in order not to face it. Um, There was the gaslighting, the blame, again, said horrible things to me. And meanwhile, I'm raising our toddler essentially alone. I'm doing all the stuff around the house, the grocery shopping, taking care of his kids, which were not biologically my own. It's pathetic. I'm like washing his car and making sure dinner is always ready when he wants it to be. It was just bad. Like, I look back now and I'm like, what kind of a a moron was I to go through these things? And he was allowed to go out to dinner. He didn't have to be in touch. He would go play golf. He was a member of this prestigious country club. And they would have events. And all of the other guys brought their wives to these events. And I was never allowed to go. I was just, I felt like a dirty secret almost. And... He began to engage in triangulation and try to pit me against my family members. He would smear me to them and then just cause bites to the point where, like, I had nobody. I didn't reach out to anybody anymore. It was just crazy. I was constantly walking on eggshells. If I didn't look him in the eye, if I didn't speak to him when he immediately when he asked me a question, it was so bad that... He wanted me to tell him when I was leaving a room, what room I was going into next. So like, if I got up from the living room, I'm going to go into the kitchen. Like just crazy, like complete mindfuckery. It was just bad. I later found out he had hidden cameras and recorders all over the house. He had put a tracker in the garage door to alert him literally what time I left the house what time I got back. I wish I'd known about these cameras because it's illegal to tape somebody without their consent or their knowledge. It's considered voyeurism, and that's a felony. And then he was constantly accusing me of cheating and that I was getting hidden phone calls, and I don't even know how to get a hidden phone call. And I was always to have my phone facing up, but meanwhile his phone was always on private message and he'd always be in the bathroom on his phone. And it was just crazy. I asked him once if I could see the phone bill and he just lost it. Super defensive. You don't need to see that. You don't trust me. You're the one that's been cheating on me. Obviously all projection, like telling on himself of the things that, that he was doing. And he kept swearing, I I would never cheat on you, that I couldn't handle the guilt. Just very, very bizarre. Um, he wouldn't ever, ever let me meet his ex-wife, which I thought was weird. Like, I'm essentially raising her children. It's just strange that I wouldn't get to meet her. He never would allow me to go to his children's special life events, like graduations and birthday parties and I loved these children as they were my own. And I was just completely being rejected and shut out. And I would tell him how much it hurt me. And he would literally just stare at me with like a blank look on his face. Like there was nothing like inside, inside him. And then again, whenever I started to stand up for myself, whatever I told him in the past was thrown in my face and used against me and do you want me to start beating you up like your ex-boyfriend did because you probably deserved it? And he'd say, you're lucky to even be with me. He goes, because honestly, you're not ever going to be wife material. He goes, in real life, I wouldn't even be friends with you. And he goes, and by the way, you need to start wearing more makeup. I need for you to paint your nails red and you need to wear sexy lingerie for me every single night. So I started to realize like he viewed me as an object, like an extension of himself and I was to shut up and take it or there would be hell to pay. And it wasn't even worth it. Like I wanted peace in my life. I wanted to shield the children. And again, I just shut myself off because I didn't want to accept it.
0: What does that mean? Real life.
1: I guess he felt he had to be with me because we shared a child together. So I think he meant in real life, if we didn't have a child, like he wouldn't even be friends with me, which is obviously devastating to hear and makes you feel like terrible. And every time I did what he wanted, like the bar was raised higher. It was never, ever good enough. I didn't realize until later that, Every single night he'd go down into the basement and write up a log of my behaviors that day. And at the end of every month, I was physically presented with a report of every day, how I had failed him, what quote unquote sins I had committed. He hated when I spent time with my older son and in his report, on such and such a day, you spent this many minutes in your son's room. And on this day, you were in the kitchen on your phone and you didn't say hello or your bath was two minutes over Like it was psycho. It was just completely not normal. He was so jealous of my firstborn son. He stooped so low, actually, of accusing me of having an incestuous relationship with my son. And I, you're told all these toxic things for so many times that you start to believe them. I was broken. I was disgusting. I was a joke. Severely mentally ill. And he kept telling me, I'm not signing up for this for the next 40 years of my life. And again, it was always about him, his needs. It got to the point where he would gaslight me so bad that he would hide my objects. Like if I left my phone on the table and I went to a different room and came back, the phone would be gone. And I'd be like, have you seen my phone? And he'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'd search the whole house. I'd come back and there was my phone. And he'd be like, you're seriously losing it. Like you really, really need to get to see a psychiatrist. You need help. You're severely mentally ill. And again, I thought, if I go to a psychiatrist, he'll love me more. So he made an appointment for me. I went to see the psychiatrist. And before I went, like, he gave me a script of what I was to tell the psychiatrist, which is bananas. So the psychiatrist put me on a bunch of medications, like, ridiculous amounts of medications. So then he would always be like, did you take your medication? You need your medication. There's something severely wrong with you. And then his daughter came to me once and she alluded to the fact that he was a dangerous and angry, violent guy. She told me how he used to kick the door in to get to anybody if they tried to get away from him. He said that, she said that his ex-wife was constantly hoping that he wasn't doing to me what he did to her. And again, like it was just, Crazy, but for sure by now, the mask is starting to slip and I'm feeling sick to my stomach. I'd lost like 30 pounds, constant anxiety. I never knew if it was going to be Jekyll or Hyde. Like every time he went into rages, his eyes were just completely black. His face would turn red and he'd start like sweating profusely, screaming in my face where he's like spitting. And I tell him like, you're scaring me right now. And he'd mock me. Oh, I'm so sad. You're, you're, you're scared now. Always told to get out of his house, get your shit. I don't care where you go. Get out of the house. I come home sometimes and some of my stuff was literally on the street. Um, he would threaten me. He said, if you don't leave, I'm going to put eye drops in your drink which I didn't even know what that meant. And ironically, like two weeks later, I was watching an episode of Dateline and the husband did just that. He put eye drops in his wife's drink and it killed her. So I was like, holy shit, I'm living in an episode of Dateline. And my family was so scared. They were convinced that he was gonna like dissolve sleeping pills in my drink and make it look like I had killed myself. It got to the point where I like made a video of myself saying, If something happens to me, this guy did it to me.
0: And just as a side note for people that had questions about the visine, visine has tetrahydrozoline in it, which is a chemical in these drops which is a constrictor of blood vessels. They make everything more narrow, so uh, less blood can flow through them, and it's supposed to go inside your eyes. It was never meant to go inside your stomach, so it reacts differently when you swallow it. So it doesn't take that many drops to make you sick. So what happens, the visine gets absorbed through your gastrointestinal tract into your main blood circulation, which is much more readily available to travel to your heart and your central nervous system. And that's where it can slow your heart rate down, lower your blood pressure to dangerous levels, and can lead to a drop in body temperature, coma, and... As we've heard before, or as Faith heard before on Dateline, it can lead to death. So kind of took you off track there. I thought people might want to know that little bit of information. Uh, So sorry for interrupting. So what else uh, happened during this time?
1: Um, He would follow me into rooms. He would block the door so I couldn't come out. He was just screaming at me completely becoming emotionally unhinged. And then I found I was reacting to him. I was saying horrible things to him that weren't in my nature. And of course I was the abusive one. He was the victim. And I know that it was reactive abuse. Like there's only so much you can take before you completely lose it. Um, I literally like no longer knew who I was. I was emotionally exhausted and drained from trying to keep everything in order and protect the children, protect myself from this demon. I was constantly being discarded and thrown out of the house all like every two weeks I was told to get out. And then the hoovering would happen. Never ever an apology or acknowledgement of his behavior. Just more talk about, how we're going to get married and how I'm his person and how he's going to go to therapy. And he wants nothing more than for us to, to work out. I was very scared of him. Um, and he was very, very, what's the word I'm looking for? Not passive aggressive, but like a mastermind. Like he knew what he was doing. He knew how to say it to me in a way that I would buy it, that I would believe it. He held everything over my head. You're nothing without me. Nobody's ever going to want you. You're disgusting. It's just terrible, terrible, awful way to live. I couldn't figure out why I was constantly in fight or flight, like super hyper vigilant about everything. Um, and when I had sold my house, I put that money into a separate account and I was contributing to bills and stuff, but I thought I have to safeguard this money. And then slowly, he would start to give me this sob story, like squeeze tears out of his eyes that he needed money. So I would, quote unquote, lend him money. He swore on everything holy he was going to pay me back. That money would go to his wife's alimony, her child support, his credit card bills. And I kept knowing. I'm like, don't lend him money. But again, I was scared of him. He no longer was asking for a loan he was demanding that I lend it to him and I kept thinking I need this money but like I said I was I was scared of him the last time he asked me about money and I finally stood up for myself I said absolutely not and he went into such a flying rage like I think this is the most scared I've ever been to him he went to punch me And I ducked just in time so that he didn't get me, but I'm, I'm thinking this is getting progressively worse. It triggered so much anxiety from my past relationship where I got the eight staples to my head. Like it was just absolutely awful. I went to get my cell phone to call for help and he deactivated it. Like he paused it from his device, which I'd seen him do with his kids before. So I knew it was a thing that he did. Um, again, I kept telling him I was terrified and he'd get in my face, was screaming so loud, like spit in my face. You're no longer welcome here. You need to leave. This isn't your home. And I said, that's fine, but I'm not leaving without my son. And you need to pay me back over the $80,000 that you've taken for me in the past however many years. I began to drink wine at night to like help me cope, but that was forbidden. You're not to drink in my house. Although he had a major marijuana problem that he hid from me for the first year of our relationship. I began to find steroids. So a lot of this was road rage too. So I was fearful of him if he found me drinking wine. So I would hide it and drink it in the bathroom. And then I felt like a degenerate. I'm like, what is my life like become? And then one Christmas Eve, he was in my face screaming at me. He'd been drinking. um, And my 18 year old, who was 16 at the time, came down the stairs and said very calmly, he said, can you please get out of my mother's face, and stop screaming at her. And this guy proceeded to grab my minor child, threw him down to the ground, and it took everything I had. I jumped on top of him, and I'm punching him to finally get him off my son. And needless to say, I should have left the next day. I should have a 1,000% left the next day. I was frozen. I didn't know where to go. I had no home of my own. So I stayed.
0: And how h- how did that affect the relationship between you and your son?
1: Oh, he still is very angry at me to this day. I don't blame him one single bit. Like, that was a huge betrayal. He put hands on my son. Who mind, When he was young, he intervened again and tried to save me from that abuser. And now he was just super betrayed. Like that's something that we're still trying to heal and process because again, he was defending me. And in essence, I didn't defend him and take his side and, and leave. And that's something hopefully someday I can forgive myself for. I'm really trying to practice self-compassion because obviously I didn't ask for any of this, but especially my children didn't like I chose the relationship. I knew that I needed to get out. Like it was just getting really, really bad. It was affecting both my sons. And it's funny because when his mother would come visit for holidays, she would talk about narcissists and she'd say, my son is a carbon copy of his father. And I never knew what that meant. So I know now that it's intergenerational trauma and by leaving when I finally did, I put an end to that because there's no way my son was going to grow up to think that that's the way you treat people. And the thing that was so sad was coming to the realization that the person I fell in love with at the beginning never actually existed, which to this day is very, very hard to accept. Like that person never ever existed. My sister had um, been Googling personality disorders, and she came across narcissistic personality disorder, and she brought it to my attention. And I, being a social worker, had zero clue what it was. I always heard the term narcissist, and I thought it was an arrogant person, somebody who was vain. Like, I had no idea. So I started googling and researching and listening to podcasts and every story was almost exactly like mine like textbook like describing him and i remember reading it on my phone and i physically threw the phone across the room because again like if i'm not holding it in my hands then it's not real like it it doesn't exist and i diagnose people for a living And I just can't believe that I never heard about this. But at the same time, I was so relieved to finally be able to put a label on this and realize that it was actually what was happening to me. I was not crazy. I was not at fault. It had nothing personally to do with me. I see that now. Like we take it very personally and it's just a pathology that he's had his entire life. And I'm sure the pattern is going to repeat. And repeat and repeat. And I'm such the complete opposite of anybody like that. So it was beyond my comprehension how such an evil person could even exist. But I slowly started to find my voice. I started to stand up for myself. And this is when the rage got so much worse. Like he knew that he was starting to lose control. He knew that I had figured him out. Like, The mask was totally off and I knew exactly who he was and it was just really bad. Um, I went to see an attorney because he kept putting my stuff on the street. And I went to see what my rights were because we weren't married, thank God. And she advised me to start recording his threats. So I got this tiny little recorder. I would keep it in my bra and I was terrified I was terrified that he was going to find it and and figure it out and what he was going to do to me. But these threats started to become physical one night. And he told me, he said, I'm going to take our son the next morning. And I said, what do you mean? I said, where? He goes, don't worry about it. I said, well, for how long? Don't worry about it. I'm just, I'm letting you know that I'm taking him in the morning. So at that point, I felt... Like my son and I were sitting ducks and I knew, like, I'm like, this is it. This is just bad. Like, no. So I called my mother and I asked her to come at 1.30 in the morning when I knew he would be asleep. I said, pull into the driveway, turn off the headlights, and I'll be watching and waiting and I will run out with our son and then we need to leave. And she didn't even question this. She knew all of the stuff that was going on. So the adrenaline was like nothing I've ever felt. I was terrified and I sat there and watched. I knew he was asleep. I went, I grabbed my son out of his crib, wrapped him in a blanket and I just ran. We got into the car and we drove off. And neither one of us said a single word in that drive. I think we both knew how bad things were and we were just totally trying to process it. And then like 10 minutes later, I get a text from him. He's like, this is it. You finally had that mental breakdown that I knew was going to happen. I'm calling the police because you kidnapped our son. And I said, our son is fine. We're at my mother's house. I no longer feel safe around you. So the next morning I went to the courthouse. I filed a restraining order against him. And like five minutes later... He walks into the courthouse. Obviously, he had tracked me. He was trying to put in an emergency motion to get full custody because of my severe mental illness. That got denied, and he got served with the restraining order. And the ironic thing is that he was not allowed to go back to the house. And I thought, isn't that interesting? All the times that I got thrown out, now he is the one that cannot go anywhere near the house. So the judge allowed me to stay in the house for 30 days until I found my own place to live. So I had applied for a job because I knew I needed to start making my own money again. And the next day I had a a job interview. I went to get into my car and the engine had been dismantled. He had taken the starter out So I had no way to get to work. I called my mother. She loaned me her car so I could go to the job. I actually got the job, which was pretty amazing. I had started doing telehealth with this new job because of COVID. And he managed to pause my devices. So I wasn't able to keep appointments. I had so much going on with court and all of this. So long story short, it ended up costing me my job. So I felt like this guy really was was taking everything away from me. So um, I was able to finally find a place to live. It was a very safe haven, a place where I knew nobody could ever throw me out of. I still feel like I'm being recorded, which is crazy. Like I'll look around and, and try to find hidden cameras in places. The PTSD I have. It's hard for me to leave the house, and the nightmares I have are horrible. Like, it's to the point where I'm terrified to go to sleep. I was finally put on medicine for for um, nightmares that they give war vets, and that's helped me tremendously. We're in the middle of, of court trying to do the custody and parenting agreement and all of that, which is just a mess in and of itself. I have a great lawyer. We have a temporary agreement now, which already he's like motions of contempt have been filed numerous times because we know these people don't like consequences and the rules just do not apply to them. But I I know that this does not define who I am. Like, I know that I've been through a lot, but that was just like a chapter of my life. It doesn't define my whole existence. And I genuinely feel like there are good people out there. Like, he's stolen so much from me. I'm not going to let him steal my faith in humanity, like, whatsoever. Um, I'm terrified that he's going to charm the judge and the family service and just do what he does like sell people. I really, really, it's my goal to educate the judicial system and lawyers and policemen on this affliction because nobody knows about it. Nobody knows the manipulation. And a lot of times Narcs get more custody. Mine's going for more custody. I know it's to hurt me because he was not involved in our son's life the past couple years of his life. And slowly I'm starting to like feel my feelings again because feelings serve a purpose in our life like they're there to protect us to get us out of dangerous situations I'm starting to laugh again which the first time I heard myself laugh I was like whoa who was that but it was like generally like from my gut like an amazing laugh I feel like my feelings are starting to thaw out And I just feel so intensely, like the amount of love I feel for my sons is beyond powerful. Just happy, like at peace, not walking on eggshells. And there's no way I can co-parent with this guy. Like you just cannot co-parent with narcissists. So we're doing parallel parenting where we just stick to the need to know basis stuff. We communicate everything on our family wizard. I make sure that everything's documented, that there's a paper trail. When I, we do the pickups and drop-offs of our son, I make sure it's in a public place, like a police station. I don't make eye contact with him. I stick to yes, no answers. Like he will no longer corner me and I'm never going to put up with his, his jabs and his demeaning Criticisms and his argument like, no, I'm done. He no longer controls me. He tries to, of course, he does with stuff that comes to our son. And I just need to find a way to deal with that for the next 15 years and just realize that that's what it's going to be. I'm in therapy right now. I have an amazing therapist who does EMDR, which is helping me a lot. Um, I not felt sorry for myself. I do feel sad, though, that I allowed myself to be treated that way. I feel horrible that my sons had front row seats to the abuse, which in essence, they were abused too, because they witnessed it. He stole moments from me that I will never get back with my children. Because I was so disturbed that I couldn't be present in the moment with my children. And they deserve a happy, healthy mother. So slowly we're starting to build memories together again. Bonding. Like they know that I'm there unconditionally for them. Slowly starting to pick up the pieces Of my life. And that feels amazing. Like it's the most excruciating thing I've ever been through in my life, but it's also the most empowered, empowering thing I've ever, ever been through in my life, recovering from this trauma and healing and starting to work on the why's like, why do you continuously allow people to treat you like this? Why did you put up with it for so long? Um, And again, people don't have to understand why I stayed as long as I did. And unless you've actually been through it, nobody can understand what a horrible nightmare it is to live through. And I'm so proud of myself that I was able to get out. I feel like, I got the last laugh because I'm going to go on to an amazing life and he's stuck with himself for the rest of his life. I know that he already has a serious girlfriend which I'm sure has been going on all the time. I'm like devastated and trying to heal myself and he just never even looked back. Like discarded like I never even existed which is heartbreaking. But again I'm I'm learning that it wasn't me. I can't take it personally because I'm sure he's going to do it to his new supply. And he's always going to keep trying to feed that supply and it just sucks, but I will get to a place where I will forgive myself. I hope that my oldest son forgive me and we can heal that relationship and just find my worth and start loving myself so that this never ever happens to me again. But I can thoroughly say that I now know what red flags to look for and to just run for the
0: hills. So before we end our show, do you have any words of wisdom or advice for everyone listening?
1: Just get out. It's not going to be easy, but it's a thousand percent worth it. These people do not change. They get so much worse. I'd say grab your toothbrush and run like a motherfucker because we're worthy of love. Like it is our birthright to be happy and at peace and respected and it will never happen with these people. So just save yourself because you will never save them from themselves.
0: So Faith, I really want to thank you for being here with me today, with everyone today and sharing your story because you did a very good job of telling everything and and getting into the nitty gritty of your feelings and the depths of your feelings and the despair that you are feeling, which is not an easy thing to do. And you're able to tell your story and and give people insight into the tactics that were used against you and the slow build of of everything as well. So you did a a fantastic job here. Unfortunately, you were here to tell your story, but you're here because I know you really wanted to help people and for people that are going through it to help them maneuver their way out of it and for people that might not encounter this stuff to to help them with the red flags that might eventually pop up on their radar to help them eventually build a better boundary system. And I hope nothing but the, the best for you and your family and mending the fences between you and your eldest child and I hope that goes well and everyone here is giving you a big hug and just a really big thank you for letting it all hang out there and you know just being you today so a a really big thank you
1: thank you so much and thank you so much for giving me the platform to share my story it's my sole mission to help survivors heal to educate judicial systems I am writing a book, hopefully, that will help people. And if I help at least one person, then my mission is complete.
0: Well, you did. And I guarantee you at least one person's life has been changed today because of your story. So really a big, big thank you for me and everyone else here and every listener of this show. So thank you. And now before we end our show... If you want to be a guest on our show like Faith, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. You can click on that button, and it takes you to our guest form page. And at the guest form page, you have all of these instructions, and you can read all the instructions. Please do read all the instructions, and then send us either... An email through our guest form or to NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. We are always looking for more stories. We cannot have enough. We do a lot of recording because not every episode we record makes it to air. So please do send in your stories because if you do and share your story, you're going to help a lot of people like Faith did today. And other things at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Dot com. We have a support group button at the top of the page, and that takes you to our very own safe social network. And on our safe social network, we have forum boards that you can post and people will answer. We have support group meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and every other Thursday afternoon. And we have episodes that never made it to air. We have episodes that are ad free as well. And if you just want to support the show, because the show needs support, please do just become, please just become a member of our support group. And that helps us out a lot. And you can do that at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, press that support group button, and we will see you there. Another way to help us out is to leave reviews everyone to leave nice written reviews about the show nice five-star ratings if you can it helps encourage people to listen to the show and uh, and and that's just helpful for everyone the more listeners we have the better for the show the more initiatives we'll eventually be able to have in the future so please do leave us some reviews if you can and also, if you need more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. And if you've not been to DomesticShelters.org, while you are there, you are able to find resources to help you heal and move forward. There are articles there, and they can also connect you with... They can also connect you with local resources like shelters as well. So please do go to domesticshelters.org to access this free resource today. I'm stumbling all over my words today, so I apologize. Anyway, I hope everyone is doing well. And from myself and faith, we hope you have a good night.